man. Well, what a, what a fun morning. And uh, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. This is a joyful time of the year. We celebrate the fact that Jesus has come to us. And uh, I'm excited. I'm going to jump into the scriptures. I'll be trying to be fairly brief this morning. And hopefully most of us will be back tomorrow night at 7 o'clock uh, for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, but one of the things we do when we get together as a church in this season is we sing. And we sing lots of, of Christmas carols. And uh, good Christmas carols, the really good ones, point us to Jesus, right? That's what a good Christmas carol is supposed to do. Nothing against Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Frosty the Snowman, great catchy tunes and all that, but, but really Christmas carols should point us to the one in the manger. Uh, my, my favorite, you guys, I'm sure you have your, your favorite Christmas carol. Uh, mine, we just sang one of them, What Child Is This?, uh, is, is one of my favorite. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We sang that uh, last week. And uh, Silent Night, of course. Everybody loves Silent Night. We'll sing that tomorrow by candlelight. Uh, Lord willing. Um, do you know when the, the first Christmas carol was written? I don't mean the story by, by uh, Charles Dickens. I mean the actual first carol song written. I don't know if you know this, but Mary wrote a Christmas carol. <laughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's in the Bible. And she actually wrote it before Jesus was even born. So well, while the baby was still in her womb, she wrote a song for him. And like any good Christmas carol, it points us specifically to Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, looking at verse 46, going on to 56. Uh, looking at what is often called the Magnificat. The Magnificat, because it comes from the, the Latin translation of this, the Magnificat Anima Mei Dominum, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we read this. There's an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to see as well. We'll have the scripture up on the screen. Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned, returned to her home. Mary gives us some advice in this Christmas, her first Christmas carol. The device is to look to Jesus. As I said, there's an outline in your bulletin. Three points really quickly. First, Mary magnifies God for the gift of Jesus. Remember, at this point, Jesus isn't even born yet. She had just recently been visited with, uh, by an angel telling her that even as a virgin, she's going to give birth to a very special child. And she recognizes that child is special. <laughs> there's a famous, of course, song about Mary. Mary, did you know? 
like that song? Anyone like that song? I like it, right? Uh, but the only problem with it is it's an easy answer. Yes, she knew. Because the Bible tells us that she knew. She knew exactly what was going on. She didn't have the fullest sense of who Jesus was. But as we see here clearly, she did know that the one in her womb is the Messiah. There's something special, unique, powerful about this baby in her womb. She starts off her song, My soul magnifies the Lord, makes much of the Lord. He, her whole focus in this song is on God. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. As she looks to God as a Savior. And who needs a Savior? Sinners. Sinners need Saviors. And we're sinners, and we recognize our need of a Savior like Mary. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Uh, Mary was nothing special in the eyes of the world. She was a peasant girl from the northern region of Israel. But she recognizes, 48, that behold, from now on, all generations are going to call her blessed. And that is certainly true. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we all tend to look at Mary and say, what a blessed woman, blessed Mary. Uh, all generations have called her blessed from this point forward. She sees down the lens of, history, of, of the future and recognizes that something so great and mighty is happening that all generations in the future will call her blessed. And then she puts the focus squarely on the Lord. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I think Mary may be a little different than sort of tradition has made her out to be. In fact, I think Mary would be very, very uncomfortable with the focus that we tend to put on her. And some of the traditions that have sort of arisen that surround her. Uh, the idea that Mary is sinless. <laughs> she recognizes, no way, I'm not sinless, I need a savior. The idea that statues would be built for her, or prayers would be spoken to her, would be so foreign to her, she would probably weep and say, the focus should be on God Almighty, who is merciful and mighty, and has worked through a humble servant like me. Friends, I hope that this Christmas we, in some ways, take up Mary's example. Uh, we take up her example of looking to God as Savior. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you, you here, if we have lots of visitors here today, if you recognize yourself to be a sinner. Uh, I would say your faith in Christ, Christianity itself, depends on that beginning. So if you're here today and you say, I'm, I'm pretty much without sin, <laughs> I'm perfect, then we really don't have much of a message for you. <laughs> because Christianity begins with the recognition of our need of God. And so if you are here and you recognize your own sin and you look back perhaps at your own life and you see guilt, you see mistakes that you've made, you recognize that you are not a perfect person and maybe very far from it, then listen to Mary and look to God as Savior. As she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I love that. I think it's John Piper who says, magnify has two, we have two ways we use the word magnify. One is through a microscope and one is through a telescope. Uh, in a microscope, what do you do? You take something that is really, really, really small. Uh, so small that your eyes can't really see it. The naked eye can't see it without some help. And it makes it look really big. That's one way in which we magnify something. The other way is through a telescope, uh, which things that are so far away that we can't see them with the naked eye, but they're actually extremely large. Like the Hubble telescope, right? I actually had a picture of uh, something from the Hubble telescope. Just beautiful images from afar. And what these telescopes do is make something that is so big, but we can't see it, 
look just a little bit more like what it really is. And that is what Mary is doing. She's not magnifying God as a microscope, taking something small and making it look big, but like a telescope, taking something that we don't see clearly and just getting a better glimpse at it. And friends, I hope that this Christmas, that's one thing we do as well. We magnify the Lord. We see him more clearly, more like how he really is. But we also recognize that God uses even those who are humble and perhaps even especially. Think how amazing that is. Think of all the, the great, powerful men and women of history. Think of Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world. You know, became basically the head of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, and conquered, was, went so far to the east that he began to attack the Indians and face elephants that no one had even, even seen before and began to conquer nations of India. Think of Genghis Khan. Uh, who conquered more of the world than anybody else, actually. And no other kingdom has conquered as much of the world as, as Genghis Khan. They say, I think, that one out of every 200 people on this planet, men on this planet, are descendants of Genghis Khan. Have you ever heard that before? That's how far his kingdom spread and what he did with his kingdom. Think of all these great men and women of history, and you think of Mary. Who is she? A little peasant girl from Galilee that God uses to bring the Savior into this world. God's plan is so different than ours. Recognize that God can use anyone. In fact, he tends to prefer to use those who are humble and don't come from some great big background. And last, let's, let's sing with Mary. Last under this first point. Let's sing with her. Uh, some things are, are, are too big, are too good, are too amazing uh, to just be thought about. <laughs> You've got to bring it to song. And I think that's why we have the Magnificat, this song, this Christmas carol of Mary. Uh, this is too great for me to just talk about. I've got to sing. That's one of, the things we, one of the other reasons why we join together as a church family, to sing. We want to sing about God and who He is and what He has done for us. It's something that is more than just mental. It's emotional. It's praiseworthy. It's something we want to rejoice in. But Mary, in verses 51 to 53, she looks to Jesus she doesn't mention Jesus by name, but she's talking about this baby in her womb who's going to change the world. She looks to him to set the world right side up, to set the world right. Look what she says in 51. Uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. Again, if you have this view of Mary as this sort of floating, mystical gentle, calm, nurturing person who doesn't even really walk or run, but just kind of floats around and moves around. You haven't understood Mary. Actually, she seems to be a, a feisty young Jewish girl who is tired of politics, tired of the Romans and their misuse of power, and tired of the corrupt Herods and what they've done to the country of Israel, tired of the religious leaders of their day and their hypocrisy, and has said, this is time for God to set the world right side up. <laughs> Something's wrong with the world. He's going to humble the proud, Humble the arrogant. He's going to raise up the humble. He's going to send the rich away empty. And that's not a statement about wealth being somehow immediately evil. But most, many of the rich people of that day were corrupt. He sends them away empty-handed. And he's going to feed the hungry. And this is going to start with Jesus. I, I love the fact that she looks to Jesus to set the world right. Um, you know, 
the world, in some ways, we want to think that, you know, the world is right. And maybe Jesus turns it upside down. He says the first will be last, the last first. Greatest will be servant of all. But really, the way Mary sees it is the world's upside down already. <laughs> and he needs to be fixed. Uh, I have a picture of, of uh, the world map here, upside down. Now, if you're OCD, that really bothers you, doesn't it? <laughs> if you're obsessive-compulsive, seeing something out of place just seems, seems wrong, doesn't it? I don't know. Anyone here a little OCD, obsessive-compulsive? Yeah, all right. So, like, if you see a, a, a throw pillow on a couch that's upside down, you've got to go in and fix it, right? There's a little piece of paper on the floor. You've you got to pick it up. I used to be pretty badly OCD. I used to count my steps when I walk. Uh, I guess that's a big sign of being, being OCD. Uh, I don't do that anymore, but I do count at, at stoplights. I do that all the time. You can ask my, my family. We stop at a light. I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, seven. Something in me just automatically wants to count. Wants to fix what seems broken in our world. What she recognizes that Jesus, the one in her womb, is going to set this world right side up. He's going to fix what's broken and turn it right. Now, did Jesus do that? It's been 2,000 years. Well, there's two answers to that. One is, yes, he's already started doing it. Uh, the gospel is spreading to the ends of the world. And where the gospel goes, where Christianity spreads, hospitals are built, orphanages are built, new education systems are built. People tend to have a, a, a sense of Judeo-Christian ethics and things begin to change wherever Christianity goes. If you ever watch a, a sort of a, a, see a map of the spread of Christianity, it's pretty amazing. Starts off in this little dinky tiny place in Israel, grows and then shrinks and grows and then shrinks a little bit because other kingdoms arise and, and then it just continues on for 2,000 years and now it, it's in every continent on the planet and is spreading rap, more rapidly than it ever has in history. So that's one answer is yes, he's, going to, he's setting the world right side up even as we speak. The other answer is no, we're waiting still for that day to come when Christ comes back and fixes our broken world. But I would say this, we don't have to just look at it in that sort of big macro sense, even personally. Look at your own life, even as you look at my own life. And God is setting things right in my own life. He's calling me out on my pride. He's using my humility, whatever humility that might be. He's sending away my greed, my love of possessions, my love of this world. He's satisfying that hunger. Not only providing our daily bread, but hunger for Him. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. We're all in the process, just like the world. But He's at work. He's setting our upside down world right side up. And just like the world, we're waiting for that day in which we will be with Him. Either upon Christ's return or the day we pass on from this world. In which we will be in His presence. And all will be right. She looks to Jesus to set our upside-down world, right-side-up. And then, 54 to 56, Mary knows her Bible, and God uses her. She's ready and prepared for God to use. Look what she says in 54. He has helped his servant Israel. She understands that Israel plays a unique role in the world, that God has chosen this nation to bring light to the world, and she believes that through her child, this is actually going to happen. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, 
and spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now why mention Abraham in particular? Abraham was where Israel sort of started. He was an out-and-out pagan. Uh, and God called him out of his paganism and into faith. And began to lead. he left his country, his family, his everything. And God gave him a promise that your seed, your descendant, will one day be a blessing for all the nations. And actually that's the word used here. We have in the English offspring, it's really seed. And she recognizes that Israel, of course, is, are directly descended from Israel. But why mention this in particular, as we learn from the rest of Scripture? Because Abraham's seed ultimately is Jesus. Mary was a descendant directly from Abraham, and Jesus is her son. And he's the one who brings salvation to our world. Uh, Mary knew her Bible. Uh, she, knew, she knew the Word. Uh, how do I know that? One is that her, also her song here reflects a very... Another song, very similar, Hannah's song, 1 Samuel. So she was likely meditating and thinking of that. And actually, you know, most in the first century, it was kind of difficult uh, to learn the Torah and to know the word well as a woman. Uh, you didn't have your own personal Bible. Uh, as a picture of uh, which you basically would go to a local synagogue. And there in the synagogue, you would listen to the scriptures. And you would pay attention. Actually separated men and women by a makitza, a wall between men and women. And women weren't really looked at too highly in terms of their knowledge of the scripture and the ability to teach it and proclaim it. This is not a good thing. I'm just telling you what it was like. Uh, one uh, in the Talmud, uh, one uh, rabbi, Yossi, says that a man who spends too much time talking to women, even his wife, neglects the study of Torah and will inherit Gehenna. So don't spend too much time talking to your wife. Study the Bible instead. <laughs> Well, Mary goes directly against that. She knows the scriptures. She knows Israel's place in the world. She understands the promise to Abraham. And she understands what's coming through Jesus. One commentator said, Mary is so steeped in scripture that when she breaks out in praise, the words that come naturally to her lips are the words of scripture. Being a young woman, she probably loved the stories of the Old Testament women of faith like Sarah, Deborah, Hannah, Ruth, and Abigail. What an admonition to us all, both women and men, young and old. Mary probably was not over 15. To steep our minds and hearts in the scriptures day and night so that the words and thoughts of scripture fill our mouths as naturally as they did Mary's. Friends, she was ready. She was prepared to be used by God. Uh, Here's what I would say. God can use anyone, and he oftentimes uses the most unexpected people. But God does tend to use those who are ready to be used, who are looking to be used, who know his word, understand the mission and the calling of faith, ready to look for those opportunities to talk about the Lord Jesus, to serve him in whatever way, and are eager and anticipating it. Mary knew her Bible, and she was ready to be used by the Lord. Friends, I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is, (laughs) And, and I hope it's one of those ones that are about Jesus, although it might be one of those other ones. They do have catchy tunes. But let's look to the example of Mary this Christmas. Let's look to the example of what all good Christmas carols do. They point our attention on Jesus. The fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has entered our world. He came into a mess, as we saw from the Kid Town play. There's no place for him in the inn. He was laid in a dirty manger, probably filled with mites and manure and smells and dirt. He came into our world, but he came 
to save us from our sins. We need a Savior. Saviors are for sinners. Mary recognized that, and I hope you recognize that as well. And we look to the manger, we look to the Lord Jesus to find our Savior. Because he went from the manger to the cross. On the cross, he bore our penalty. He died our death in our place. And the way we receive this grace and this forgiveness is by faith in him. We look to the Lord Jesus, recognizing our sin, and seeking to receive him as Savior and as Lord, that we follow him. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we are thankful to you for this season of the year. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together as your people to think about these things, to ponder them in our heart. Even as Mary took all that she learned during the Christmas season, uh, the visit of angels in the fields of Bethlehem, the shepherds who came to see this newborn baby, magi who came all the way from the east to visit and to bring gifts, Simeon and Anna who saw Jesus in the temple and rejoiced that a Savior has been brought to our world. She saw all this and stored it up in her heart. And so, Lord, we pray that we would do the same this Christmas season as we hear from your word and as we hear the Christmas story again. Let's store them up and ponder them in our heart and magnify the Lord because of him. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who maybe doesn't see Christ as Savior just yet. Maybe is seeking for answers and trying to understand what it means to have Christ as Lord and Savior, that you might open their eyes, open their heart, that they might find the answers to the questions that they're asking, and they might come to know you as beautiful, as good, as Lord, and as Redeemer. We ask all this in Christ's name, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song. Heart the Herald Angels Sing.